coordinate. When Hebrews was written, it was difficult for the Jews to accept Christ as the sacrifice. So the reason why is because they were accustomed to making, making uh, the tradition of making sacrifices. They, were, they had a custom, and they'd been done it, doing this for thousands of years, of some sort making sacrifices for, for their sins. But had they read and understood Isaiah 53 that we started with, they would have known that Christ was the sacrifice for all of their sins. Once and for all. See, the sacrifice of, a cru- of the crucifixion of Christ would change the whole course of history. See, the story of the crucifixion appears in every New Testament book with the exception of three. Philemon, 1st and 2nd John. They're the only books that do not talk about the crucifixion of Christ. The rest of the New Testament talks about Christ being crucified. The book of Matthew contains 141 verses about the crucifixion. Mark contains 116. Luke contains two whole chapters. The first half of the book of John leads up to the crucifixion. See, the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 that, that, that God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your offspring, and her offspring. He, he shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise his heel. At that time, the prophecy was fulfilled. At the, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So we have a picture of the sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. Last week we talked about how the Jewish people would practice this uh, thing of every year going to sacrifice for their sins. Verse 1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of the, these realities, it can never be, never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. See, the sacrifice was repeated many times, but could never save man. If it could save them, they wouldn't have to keep doing it. But they did. Every year. Every year. So let's take, let, let's take a look at what Jesus says. John 3, 1, 1 through 8 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, by the way, anytime you read truly, truly in the English version of the Bible, 
It's like putting an explanation mark at the end of whatever is going to be said. That is how he emphasized. That is how the Hebrew language and the Greek language and all the other languages, they they repeat a word. So it's truly, truly, this is like explanation mark. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I could just imagine Nicodemus' face when he said this. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, I don't even want to picture that. And, and then Jesus answered him, again, emphasizing, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I, what that I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, Jesus, we, we can't be saved without Jesus. We have to be washed clean. Verse 2, otherwise would they have not have ceased to be be offered since the worshippers have once been cleansed would no longer have any consequences of sins? He's saying if that sacrifice worked, you wouldn't have to keep doing. That's the problem. They had to keep doing. And that's why he's writing this book to them. Because they'd gone back to their old practices. Not realizing that Jesus has paid it once and for all. Anytime you try to earn your forgiveness, you are doing, you are making a sacrifice to God for your sins. Anytime you give because you feel like this is going to get me a little bit closer to God. You are making a sacrifice. Anytime that you do something because you feel obligated to do it. You are are making a sacrifice. That's why I have said my whole life, since I've been a Christian, it'll be 20 years in January. So I'm only 20. I'm 19 right now because I was born again. So I'm still a young, young, young person. So, so I've said I get to. Because if you don't live with that mentality and that you have to, you are no different than the people that was the, this book was written to. The people that were making offerings because they felt like they had to. That they, they, they had to. If we don't do this, God's not going to love me as much. I need to, to do. It, it's like some theology says, yes, you're saved by grace, but now you've got to earn it. 
You're saved by grace. End of story. Now I get to be a part of God's kingdom. Now you get to be a part of God's kingdom. So if you're a part of the kingdom, wouldn't you do stuff? Not out of compulsion, but out of love. I don't serve my family out of compulsion. I serve my family because I love them. I don't serve this church because I feel compelled to to do it out of compulsion. I do this because I love this church. I love this, this, this place. I love the people in this church. That's why I serve this church. Not because I have to. Because I get to. That's the problem. When we feel we have to, there's a problem. If one, if one sacrifice could cleanse us from sin, then why sacrifice every year? Why sacrifice every moment of your life? Why keep sacrificing? By the way, I'll tell you a little nit. God can't love you any more than when you was at your worst. God can't love you any more than when you were at your worst. If you're an addict, when you're in the deepest part of that addiction, God loved you. And guess what? God loves you if, you've, if he's cleaned you from that addiction. He still loves you. He doesn't love you anymore. He can't love you anymore. He'll love you enough not to leave you there. But he can't love you anymore. I am an earthly father. I can't love my children anymore than I love them. I've got one that doesn't speak to me. Okay? My oldest son doesn't speak to me. I don't love him any less because he doesn't speak to me. I love him just the same. I've always loved him. No, nothing's going to stop me loving him. He can stop accepting that love. But I can't love him anymore. And God is God. I know he can't love you any more than he does. He, you can't earn God's love. John, 1, John 14, 6 said, Jesus saying this again. Jesus said to him, and, and we forget this, I am the way. He doesn't give you a choice, by the way. He doesn't give any other religion a choice here. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, he is the only Savior, or he's not the Savior at all. You can pick any other religion and say, well, they say Jesus could be a good man. No, he can't. He can't be a good man because of this statement right here. I am the way, talking about himself, and the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. So guess what? If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to heaven. That should wake us up. 
There's a lot of people out there that don't know Jesus. We're not called to keep it to ourselves. People are going to hate you for even saying this. People are going to hate you for believing that statement. Because we live in a world that pastors of said Christian churches will say on TV, there could be many ways. Well, what did you cut this line out of your Bible? Oprah and Joel Osteen had a conversation about this on TV. And he agreed with Oprah that there could be many ways to heaven. And he is one of the, a pastor of one of the biggest churches in America. Yet the Bible doesn't give us any, any answer for that. It, it says, I am the way. No one. We should, this should burn us inside. This should eat at us. This should make us want to change. This should make us want to change the way we live. This should make us want to change the way we minister to other people. This should make us live differently. It should make us value our, our, what we call our possessions, our time, talent, and treasure, which is, is God's time, talent, and treasure. Because if you get it, that's what it is. Verses 3 and 4 says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Do you really want to be reminded of your sins every year? You don't. But when you have to make a sacrifice every year, it reminds you. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They were just symbols of one to come. The people that trusted that, trusted in that, the, the predictions, the prophecies of the one to come. But we can't be wrapped up in that. One, first John 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light... And this is what I keep going back to because I, I read my Bible. And, and, and that's a good thing because I am your pastor. I should read your, my Bible. But, but so should you. But, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I would say, well, if we're not walking in the light, We've not got fellowship with one another. We are to be different because we're Christians. That's why I always say, I don't believe in such thing as cheap grace. Grace that says, look, I can accept you as my personal savior and then I can leave this church and do whatever I want. Okay, okay. That's not grace. 
That is not grace at all. And I know my God loves me. So if I accept him, he wouldn't want that for my life. He wouldn't want me to to accept him as my personal savior and then do whatever I want and live however I want. It fervently, the Bible tells us that, that it's not grace at all unless you repent of what you're doing wrong. If you don't live a repented, repentful life, a life that, that says, look, I've sinned, God. I don't want to do this anymore. Help me. And you might have to say that prayer over and over again for the same sin because you struggle with the same sin. But if you're not confessing the sin that you struggle with and the sins that you struggle with, it's not grace. Because God promises to save us when we confess our sins. We don't confess them once. Because the last time I checked, we don't stop sinning. That would be okay if you could confess your sins today and never do it ever again. You'd never have to confess again. But that's impossible for you to do. It's impossible for me to not sin through a whole day. So I need to confess at least every day. So do you. So do you. The plan of the sacrifice. Verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. He's talking to God. He prepared the body. His body, Jesus' body, is what they're talking about. Christ came. Christ said. He came into the world because the world needed a sacrifice to be saved from their sin. We're all sinners. We all have the same disease. It is called Sin. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Another reason we can't say any other religion can save you. You can have friends that are from other religions. I, I suggest you do have friends that, that have other religious affiliations. Because that's how you, you can be a witness of how God works in your life. Don't buy into their religion or don't add some of their religion because that's what's happened today, that we've added a bunch of different religions together and made new, new age theology. You, you be a witness to what you believe in people's lives. Verse 6, continuing his speech, he said, In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Talking to God again. God took no pleasure in the burnt offerings and the blood offerings that were given to him. 
It did not please him. The reason Jesus had to come is because the animal sacrifices, the burnt offerings that were being given to God, that he actually put in place. It's not like it wasn't God's idea, by the way. This was God's idea, but it was an idea to show that we needed a savior. He took no pleasure in the offerings. He wasn't pleased by the offerings. They were not acceptable offerings. See, I'm, here's, here's, here's what I'm brave enough to say, that them offerings didn't save anybody. Okay? They were symbols. The symbols didn't save anybody. What was happening here is, if they truly understood what they were doing, that saved them. If they knew that somebody was going to come to pay for their sins, that paid that was what saved them. The burnt offering wasn't what saved them. That's a symbol of a offering that wasn't made yet because it wasn't the right time. So what they were doing wasn't a payment for their sin. It wasn't a payment for what they'd, 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 they, they, they weren't paying for the sins that they'd done. Was, but why were they doing this not every minute of every day? Because somebody was sinning. They would be, have to be in that, the priest would have had to be in that tent. They would have just been bringing animals every second of every day. And that would have had to keep piling them up and just killing them, burning them, offering them up. Because this is what gets me. They did this once a year. I mean, they had other sacrifices. But they did this sacrifice once a year. So they would sacrifice these animals. You don't think they left the temple? You don't think people were sinning while they were actually making the offering? There's a lot of sin being committed by a whole people group in a year. So it's just a symbol. But they thought the symbol, the ritual, was so important, they went back to it after Jesus paid for their sins. Verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is how I know he was speaking to God in this sentence that they're talking about. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book, Talking about Psalms 46 through 8, by the way, if you want to look it up. The death was foretold throughout the Old Testament. We read Isaiah 53, which is in so much detail, by the way. They didn't believe, people, scholars didn't believe that that could have been written before Christ lived his life. They found scrolls, they dated the scrolls and go, oh crap, God might know what he's talking about. Because these were written way before Jesus walked. These scrolls, they don't date all the way back to Isaiah, but they dated before Christ. 
you know? That's amazing. It's amazing that you have got a piece of text that is so detailed. It's not like you can say, oh, well, yeah, they were close. It's like, wow, that, that's like somebody, if I wrote it down, that would be a, a good detail of description of what happened. And it was written years before Christ walked this earth. If we just did it, did a, we could preach for the next over a year on just the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And we've all heard the analogy that if you take all of the prophecies, just, just, just take the top five prophecies, and you, 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 it would be, the odds of that happening in one person's life is like filling the whole state of, of Texas with quarters. Not lay flat, knee high, painting one of them quarters black and blindfolding somebody and sending them into the state of Texas to hunt for the black quarter the first time they reach down. If you've got that much luck, you need uh, to play the lottery. And remember to do- donate 10% to the church. That's how hard it was. And there's hundreds of prophecies. There isn't a handful that Jesus fulfilled. There's hundreds. Verses 8 and 9. When he said above... You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to to establish the second. Christ brought a new system to replace the old. Remember? Remember? We just, if you come Wednesday night, we do it every week. So, but, but every second Sunday right now, we, we do communion and we celebrate what he's done for us. And in that text, in Matthew 26, he says, I am, this is, this is, this is the start of the new covenant. The new covenant that is, that is poured out by his blood. His blood hadn't even been poured out by then. Once his blood was shed, that covenant was a legal binding document. That is what that means. Hebrews, going back to, seven, to Hebrews seven twenty-five, it said, Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that verse, by the way. Because that says to me, and I said it when we preached that verse in Hebrews, that, that, that if you know what intercession means, that means Jesus is up in heaven praying for you, interceding for you. 
I mean, if that doesn't make you warm and fuzzy inside, if you're a Christian, I don't know what will. That your God cares that much about you, that he is interceding for you. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. See, our our sanctification comes only one way. Through Jesus Christ. Not anything you do. That's why I've, I've always got to be careful when I say I don't like cheap grace. When people say, well, if I accept Christ as my savior, that's all I have to do. I can go live however I want. When I say I don't believe that, okay, I have to be careful because I believe and, and I have to be careful with the workspace theology people too, because I believe we do do works. But again, not because we have to, it's not going to save you. If you're saved, you do good works. That's what the Bible teaches. If you're saved, you do good works. That's what James says. We're saved by grace. Grace alone. But, because you're saved, it will change you from the inside out. Because he changes you from the inside out. The Spirit lives inside of you. If you truly accept Christ as your Savior, you will be changed. You will act differently. You will treat people differently. I'm not going to say we're not going to mess up at this, but we will look at people most of the time through God's eyes and not ours. We won't judge people because we'll be looking at them through God's eyes. We'll be coming alongside people and loving people. Not just the people we like. Because that's the problem that can happen. We only help the people we like. And you know the problem with that? Is this is, it's the same as giving. If you're just giving and it's not hurting you, you're not giving. And that, that's about everything in your life. If you're not giving, and if, if you're still getting, oh yeah, I can still go do this, I can still go on vacation here, I can still do this. If it's not hurting you, you're not giving. That's in every aspect of your life. If you didn't have to give up something to do something, then you're not giving the way God calls us to give. Through this system, through Jesus Christ, the new system, 
the new covenant, we are cleansed from all sin. Not because we have no sin in us. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. How beautiful is that? If, if God looked at us, for us, God, we would be a pile of ash on the ground. If God doesn't look through us, through Jesus' goggles, that's what he sees. We would burn. Because we are filth. And we do not deserve to be in the presence of our God. The perfection of our sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he was has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus had to become a man to do this. See, we, we get, is, it was God, was Jesus God or was he man? No, he was fully God and he was fully man. This is his man attribute. He had to be born and live a life that we could not live. Goes on. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying this is the, new, is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds. Sorry, I wanted to stop there. The new covenant sacrifice is no longer the blood of animals. Christ's blood brought us from the powers of sin. We are washed with his blood. Not because you deserve that. Because he loves you that much. Because he loves you that much that he wants to make you clean. He wants you in his presence. But he doesn't just want us. He wants other people in our presence. And if we don't live the lives that he's called us to live, how are they going to meet Jesus? We are supposed to be the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are supposed to take that out of here. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What a promise. What a promise from God that he chooses because God is God. He really doesn't forget it. He chooses to put a door there that he's not going to look at. 
He can't forget he's God. But he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we have to not, we don't have to offer anything anymore. So if you ever are giving out of compulsion, stop. If you ever think that if I do this, I donate my time, it's going to get me closer to heaven, don't want your donation. If you do that with your money, you say, I only give out of compulsion. I'm telling you, I'm the pastor. I might not have a salary, but I will still preach. But, but stop giving. If you're only doing it out of compulsion, the Bible says don't give. It's, it's not a gift. Okay? We give because we get to give. We give because we realize that it's not ours. It's God's. So anytime, anytime I spend my money, or anytime you spend your money, you're spending God's money, not your money. That's what the Bible says. So we don't give out of compulsion anymore. We don't give our time, talent, or treasure out of compulsion. We give it because we get to. We get to because of what he has done for us. It's not going to get you a bigger, bigger uh, spot palace in heaven. You're not going to have like a, a big palace in heaven because you get more than me. The same grace gets us through the door. But I'm telling you, if you want to be serious about your faith, if you want to be serious about what you believe, then start acting differently. Start acting differently about what you have because it's not yours. Actually believe what the word of God says and stop pretending. Psalms 103, 3-2 says this. And the words are on the, on the screen if, if, you want, if you want to follow along. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns your, you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfi- satisfies you with good so you, that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, thank God nor repay us according to our iniquities, thank God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Remember, there is no limit to how far he has removed Your sin. 
When the death of the angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over it. Read Exodus 12, 13 or Exodus 12, 23 through 24. And we apply his blood to our hearts. We will not have to face the judgment of God described in Revelations 20, 11 through 15. But we ha- will have eternal life. John 5, 24 says this. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Have you ever thought about that? Painting the blood of Jesus on your heart. Just the same way they painted the blood above the door. Covers your sin. His blood is what covers your sin. But his blood has little value unless you apply it to your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The whole old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We will then have eternal life. John eleven twenty five and 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the promise. If you believe that the blood has washed you clean, if the blood is painted on your heart, you have no fear of judgment. So, next week, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, 19 through 39 for part 14. The Christian's Privilege. Because being a Christian, we are privileged. So, let us pray as we get to sing, before we sing this last song, Our God Saves Because We Can't. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace. That you saved us, not because of anything we could do, but because of everything that you have done. Because you love us that much. You don't ask anything of us. You don't expect anything of us. But your love and mercy transform us from the inside out. So we can't help being different. We can't help being in love with you. And want to please you because we get to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.